Um, Tim's sitting in for Mark again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is for those who are wondering why the uh, why the show is delayed this week. Um, unforeseen scheduling issue earlier in the week, uh, which I'll let Mark address next week. Mark's life. It's is, always it's always Mark's fault. It's always Mark's fault. Mark, uh, we decided that years a, ago. A little last minute whirlwind happened in Mark's life, and uh, then you know, on top of that, we all had gigs, and you had film week. And, yes. How was Film Week? Film Week was a lot of fun. Pretty good. It was a good, good, was a good um, show. I listened. You know, the movies this week, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Sausage Party. Yeah. You know. <laughs> which, which, again, I, I, as I said yesterday on the show, uh, it's vulgar and tacky and, you know, very Rogan-esque in, 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 in that way. But it has a little something going on underneath. Right. You know, still, it surprises me that it takes five story by and screenplay by guys, you know, all together. Yeah. To spit out a whole bunch of sex jokes, uh, you know, sausage and bun jokes. Yeah. Like, really? Five of you. Five of you to do this. Really? Okay. Whatever. I Well, we also had some interesting stuff happen uh, industry-wide the, this week. That open letter. Did you read that open letter to Kevin Sujihara? I've been, I, I, lay it out for the folks. Okay, so a, a an unnamed individual who used a pseudonym of a character from Big Trouble in Little China posted a an online open letter to Ke, to Kevin Sujihara, um, which started with a criticism of uh, Suicide Squad, mm-hmm. but then dovetailed into a revelation that this individual used to be a Warner Brothers employee, and you know the way that people were laid off, and the way they were treated, and the way that Warner Brothers is treating its properties and its people, and. It basically, it was just a dagger in the heart uh, saying, you know, uh, you are an incompetent boob, you're an incompetent studio, and the people who should be losing their jobs, like Zack Snyder, are mm-hmm. the ones that keep getting, you know, promoted and keep and getting another more shot work. And another shot. Whereas, you know, the, the people who have to make their mortgage payments, they're the ones that are taking the brunt of your mistakes. And when you when you lose money, they're the ones that you're you're forcing to absorb the uh, the shock of your bad decisions. Anyway, which is all literally factually true. It is. It is. Well, you know, uh, we both know people at Warner yeah. Brothers, and we, you know, we went through that period of the layoffs, wondering, oh my gosh, are my friends going to be unemployed? Because all the studios have gone through layoffs: Disney, Universal, Sony. I mean, uh, Fox. Uh, there have been layoffs at all of them because everyone tried to adapt to the you know the downturn in the DVD market and upturn in streaming and uh you know we know a lot of people that lost their jobs still haven't sort of landed on their feet but warner brothers went through several rounds that were yeah. especially brutal and i remember seeing those 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 facebook posts from people saying hey i'm still here and you just kind of breathe a sigh of relief because these are our friends we've known them for years yeah but yeah warner brothers has been particularly brutal and uh boy i you know i think they i think that said things that a lot of us have been thinking but in a in a really devastating insider kind of way. So uh. it's direct and sharp, but as I said before, actually factually true. Look, yeah. when a studio does well, yeah. uh, when they pick the hits, yeah. uh, the studio hits, the studio brass, uh, the, they all get the benefit. Yep. Uh, they're, they're geniuses. Uh, they're, yep. The stories are written. When they when things go south and they start cutting, it never happens at the top. No. Uh, every blue moon, a studio head will change. Chairs, yeah, but in reality, no studio head ever really gets fired. And, they get a production deal. And what they Warner, get. Warner Brothers, and we'll you know wait and see how this story develops. But Warner Brothers has been unique uh, for years in the sense that unlike other studios, which will send somebody out when there's a regime change, they send someone out to pasture and bring in fresh blood. 
Warner Brothers has never done that. There's always been this musical chairs yeah. inside, promoting from within, preserving the culture. Um, you know, it, it, it's really fa- they're the only studio that has not really gone through that upheaval of throwing somebody out and bringing in all entirely new fresh blood. And they really haven't had actual creative studio hits at Warner Brothers for a very, very long time. Not for very long Creative studio hits. Not guys with MBAs, not guys with law degrees, not accountants or CPAs. but but guys with producing experience. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. filmmakers. True. Very true. Well, we're going to start off. I got a a big old pile of anime that's uh, built up over a few weeks. I want to go through a lot of this stuff real quickly. And, and, you know, Tim has has very graciously sat in here kind of last minute. So um, I'm going to let Tim take a breather. And uh, while I uh, blow through some of these... There is, a, there is a couple of interesting ones here from the, the Sente line, which, of course, is released by uh, Section 23. Uh, one of them is called Trinity 7. Uh, this is for lascivious men who just like those cute pixie, uh, really hot pants-wearing anime girls, and I know there are a lot of you. This thing is pretty blue, i got to be honest. Uh, it's about, you know, seven women, and they're all kind of like sorceresses, and it's uh, it's you know another fantastical. It's it's kind of like Bewitched times seven with a lot of skin. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Now okay. I want to see it. Trinity Seven, and they and they're and they're they're bad too. They're really they're they're tough. These girls. Uh, and then we also have a Punchline, uh, the complete collection, twelve episodes on two discs. Uh, this is one of those wacky anime comedies that kind of you know. It's also very, very blue, a lot of, you know, a lot of skin, a lot of underwear, but also has a lot of the, 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 the weird humor that these things don't, it doesn't necessarily transfer over. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's all kind of action-oriented and uh, female hero stuff. It's just a little wackier and, and goofier, and that's called Punchline. If you don't get the humor, you're probably going to miss about uh, half of what's going on here. Uh, I got another one from uh, Sente, which I actually thought was, was, was pretty good. This is, again, female-oriented, but a lot less lascivious. Uh, this is Wake Up Girls Complete Collection. Actually kind of fun. Uh, translates over uh, much, much better. The, uh, this is you know, kind of the, uh, the, the, one of those teen girl things. So considering that I actually found it to be interesting tells you something, because I'm not a teenage girl, Japanese or American, but I actually found it sort of uh, entertaining. The humor translates. It's good. It's a lot of fun. Um, so that is uh, Wake Up Girls. Japanese school girls, always, uh, always good for uh, something. I'm being very quiet here because when I get, <laughs> get into discussions of Japanese school girls, it's very easy for me to go off the rails. <laughs> Every, it's all becomes a problem, so I'm just going to sit here yeah. and so, let most of this play out in my head. <laughs> uh, this one is from much, much younger set. This is from the Anime Elements line of Nozomi. And uh, this is called Super Gals, the complete collection. And uh, boy, uh, Tim, what do you what do you think about that? That is explosive. <laughs> is what that is. The uh, the artwork on the cover tells you everything you need to know. They're just really brightly dressed girls with big eyes and big smiles, and they and scarves and really cute shoes and lots of sparklies and jumping all over the clay. It's very eighties. It's very eighties. It's very girly girl. Uh, you know, they're but but they're. It's basically about sweet little teenage girly girls who are, uh, you know, really tough. And uh, they can shop, and they can uh, kick butt, and uh, they're they're really awesome. They're, but they mostly shop. Fifty-two episodes of Super Gals. Love to see that done live action someday. Um, 
a little more onto the uh, hero line, the heroic line of things. Let me uh, get in here. Funimation always takes us into some interesting areas. Uh, Funimation has Guilty Crown, which is beautiful animation. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, This is some of the most interesting stuff I've seen in a long time. This is the same director who did Death Note and Attack on Titan. So you know that it's going to have really, really intense, very colorful, highly detailed animation. The artwork really, really just through the roof. Uh, the, uh, this is you know, part of uh, the new Fuji TV Noit Anime animation block. For those of you that know what that is, I hope that means something because it means absolutely nothing to me because I don't get Japanese television. But anyway, it is, uh, it's all kind of based around an event centered after a meteorite hits Japan and releases this virus. And then you get into this really, really fascinating... Uh, fantastical uh, kind of romance and action after that. Anyway, Guilty Crown. Gorgeous, gorgeous animation. Really first rate. Uh, After War Gundam X. More of the Gundam Gundam. series. Gundam, it just never goes away. This is, uh, you know, this takes place uh, in a future beyond certain, uh, some other previous Gundams. Uh, this is episodes 20 through 39 of this series, and, uh, you know, it's, it's Gundam. I'm, I, I can't introduce you to the Gundam world if you don't know it. A uh, complete collection of Hatenku Yugi, which is also really, really gorgeous animation. Can't say that I really quite got into the, uh, into the world here. This is 10 episodes on two discs from Sente. Uh, Universal also has a hand in this. I'm not quite sure how. Um, but uh, it, you know, it's the the, it's a, the 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 fantastic soap opera story here doesn't quite work for me. Um, feels a little bit forced and a little confusing. But the 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 artwork is is really really top notch. I just wish that were on Blu-ray. Unfortunately, it's mm-hmm. not. Tokyo Ghoul is a is a big deal these days. Tokyo Ghoul A. Uh, this is season two, and uh, also really really impressive animation. Uh, a little bit a little bit ghoulish, as you would guess from the uh, from the title. But uh, it works. And uh, let's see, go through some of the rest of this. You know, here's one that really, we really have to mention. This is a, this is a bit of a big deal. Uh, this comes to us from Sinalicious Picks, and it is Belladonna of Sadness. Belladonna of Sadness is a legendary Japanese anime, but it's not really anime in its style. It's, it, we should call it Jap- just straight-up Japanese animation. Um, it was the uh, last film in a trilogy called the Anorama Trilogy, and uh, the original artist of this was Osamu Tezuka and uh, his partner Eiichi Yamamoto, who was one of the creators of Astro Boy. Yeah. And um, the, it's, it's very adult. It's very surreal and fantastical and fast hand, you know, like very kind of 1960s, 70s style. This is from 1973, so it's got a real groovy feel to it. You can tell this is from the 70s. It's got all kinds of 60s, 70s residue all over it. Um, and it certainly has kind of a, like it fits in there with other animated films from the period that are very psychedelic, like Yellow Submarine, and, you know, it's got that kind of vibe to it. So if you like that stuff, definitely check it out. But it's very, very adult. It's about a. It, it, it's it's not for for the faint of heart. It 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 begins with a rape, and there's a pact with the devil, and there's a whole lot of other really, really trippy stuff in this. But this is a gorgeous Blu-ray taken from a 4K restoration, uh, from the original elements. A great essay from Dennis Bartok, <laughs> who is of course you know a a god of uh, of film programming and archival programming here in L.A. And uh, a lot of other great extras on it. So definitely, definitely worth it for animation buffs. Belladonna of Sadness, but really adult. Very grown-up stuff. Don't, don't get it if you're easily shocked or offended. 
Uh, a few other things here for the, uh, the very popular Renee, episodes 1 through 13 on uh, two discs. This is collection 1 from uh, Sente as well. That's on Blu-ray. Um, some other familiar stuff. Children Who Chase Lost Voices, also part of the Sente collection. This is also really, really great animation. This has won a ton of awards. Uh, and this is a re-release. Uh, this is worth checking out as well if you haven't seen it previously. Um, more from Funimation. Uh, Yurikama, Yurikama, Yurikuma Arashi. I'm never going to pronounce that correctly. <laughs> more hot girls with guns uh, saving the world and styling their hair. Lots of fun stuff. It's a girl-eat-girl world. That's what the uh, tagline says. Yona of the Dawn, part two, also from Funimation. More spectacular stuff. Very, very uh, interesting world. Uh, a world of, you know, uh, you know fantastical kind of... Uh, Dragons and fantasy and Lord of the Ringsy stuff. Um, pretty hard to get into uh, if you don't know this world already, which I do not. This is episodes 13 to 24. I was having to play a little bit of catch up, watched a couple episodes. Enjoy the animation. I guess if you know the world, you'll, you'll enjoy it more. Uh, Hakuoki, uh, Demon of the Fleeting Blossom, theatrical version, chapter one, Wild Dance of Kyoto. That is the complete title of this movie, which is uh, great fantasy samurai stuff. Amazing, amazing animation. Really, really great artwork. I'm always amazed at how they uh, how they do some of this stuff. It's just they do it week in and week out. They do more animation in a week on Japanese television yeah. than we do all year yeah, on computers. Yeah. And this yeah. is all hand drawn. All hand drawn. Large, large facilities. Yeah. Some cool fantasy cyberpunk stuff in Cross Age. Uh, Rondo of Angel and Dragon. This is Sente. Uh, episodes one through twelve. This is the first collection on two discs, Blu-ray. Um, basically, you know, uh, cyberpunk cute girls kicking butt in a futuristic uh, dystopia with a little bit of fantasy. Can't get, can't get, can't get better than that, really. Uh, from the Studio Ghibli line, uh, this is a universal release. Only yesterday, with voices by Dev Patel and Daisy Ridley. Daisy Ridley, of course, becoming a really, really big deal, obviously because of Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, but uh, this is from the Studio Ghibli line. This is a this is a nice Studio Ghibli film, uh, bought from Isao Takahata, uh, with uh, Hayao Miyazaki obviously overseeing Takahata. You know, the number two guy over there at Ghibli in all these years. Uh, really sweet. Very, uh, you know, like most of the Ghibli stuff, it's much more realistic. This is like what you would expect to be a live action film, right? It's not, not really fantasy. This is very much Japanese history and sort of dealing with uh, life in the countryside of Japan and, uh, and growing up and coming of age and uh, very, very touching, very, very sweet. Uh, great, uh, great bonus features on here on the making of it and how they cast the American uh, talent and the, uh, the voiceover talent is really, really good. And then the last few here, uh, here's two more from uh, Sente that I'll just make quick mention of. Gourmet Girl Graffiti, complete collection, 12 episodes and two discs, uh, Sente on Blu-ray. Um, you know, it's uh, more little girl stuff, and it's it, that Japanese humor that I don't quite get. Um, more Gundam, Gundam Build Fighters. It's, you know, the whole Gundam thing, the suits and the shooting and the flying and the color and the, you know. Yeah. It's, it's Gundam, whatever. If, you, you know, if you're not into Gundam, don't, don't start now. It, it's a lifetime uh, devoted to getting into all that stuff and then the last two uh, Lucky Star complete series weird animation these girls look tweaked I can't really say I enjoy this this is a Blu-ray DVD combo set uh, it's just it's, it's that really extreme stuff it's like everybody's a Pokemon not yeah. really but they look like it yeah, you know, yeah. Everybody, everybody has like they look like they're all mutated from Pikachu genes yeah yeah, yeah it's tweaked it's and, right. and like meth addicts <laughs> like little 
And then the last one, which is by far the most interesting, uh, is Empire of Corpses. The Empire of Corpses Blu-ray DVD combo set with Ultraviolet from Funimation. Um, really, really, really intriguing. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. Uh, this has a lot of potential. This is from the same people who made Attack on Titan. And uh, it's based on a Philip Dick novel, which uh, has been kind of graphic novelized. And the whole idea is about ideas. It, it centers around, like, there's the, the, these undead who um, are basically working like replicants did in Blade Runner, right? Mm-hmm. Like, replicants were created to be the labor class. Here, the undead are the labor class oh. in this weird kind of future. So Empire of Corpses is very Philip K. Dick in that sense that that aspect of Blade Runner is sort of uh, the, the, the beating heart of this thing. Mm-hmm. And the animation and the artwork is very different, very non-anime-like, very intriguing. Uh, a lot of work and, and, and conceptual effort really went into this. And uh, a few interesting extras as well. And it's on. it's got ultraviolet, so that's worth something. That All... I might have to check out. Definitely cool. So that is our anime blitz for the week. Um, by the way, also should let everybody know that because we are kind of in between weeks uh, as a result of the uh, the, the drama in Mark Kaiser's life, um, there will be no show this coming week, and then uh, it will be uh, our you know our next new show with Mark's return once again. His second return will be the uh, the week of uh, Tuesday the twenty third. So Tuesday the 23rd, sometime on the 22nd, 23rd, that's when the, uh, the next show will go live after this one. So this is going to kind of be an interim double show. Programming notes. Programming, programming notes. notes yeah. All right, Tim, we got some uh, new movies. Yeah. Uh, what, we, what, what cool new movies do we have? Let's, 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 let's start uh, with... Uh, can, this is the yeah, you, you know what? Because that's, that's I actually dug this movie. Did you I see did this too. one for the and, show? And, and I, you know, I did. It's called that. Raiders. We're talking about the documentary. Raiders, yes. or, or, or the doc about... The film Raiders of the Lost Ark. That these young men, when they were children, it's it's surreal. These kids made that fan film. They, they set shot out for to shot. shoot every shot of this yeah. film. Now that's all interesting in and of itself. But the the machinations that these these people went through, uh, these young men went through over the course of the next yeah. decade, decade and a half, much more interesting than the sort of idea of them making those films. Uh, you, you're just sort of making that film shot by it's right. a really really interesting story here I, I don't know what it speaks to but I, I, I think it speaks to something in all of our lives about how we can become obsessed with things yep. and about we, how, how we let these things wheedle their way into our lives and take over our lives while our lives are happening all mm-hmm. around us all the time your life is happening anyway it's really really interesting this is from Draft House Films um, a lot of interesting stuff here 16 page booklet uh, audio commentaries Featuring these directors, you want to hear from these guys. This is why you want to hear from these guys. They're very reflective now. Yeah. You look at them. Well, they're, they're, there's a lot of drama in their lives and yeah. relationships, and you know, women came between them. And yeah. I mean, they're nerds, but yet they they went through all of those same weird little. It's almost like Holly, all of Hollywood's worst vices impinged on them as they were trying to make their own version of a Hollywood movie. It's, it's like it's like Hollywood will happen to you if you set foot into that realm no matter <laughs> that's what. True. So this is that's pretty true. good draft. So the film yeah. is called Raiders, the story of the greatest fan film uh, ever made. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then we got Meet the Blacks. This is a Mike Epps film. Came out a while ago. It's, it's one of those sort of uh, uh, spoof movies. Yeah. Uh, 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 making fun of the sort of Purge movies, right? Yeah. So this black family moves into Beverly Hills on the night of the 24-hour <laughs> Purge uh, and all kinds of wacky things occur. Actually, this is kind of fun. I saw this for the show too. Uh, let's see, HD Ultraviolet. 
the Angry Birds movie on 4K Ultra HD so that you can actually see with even greater detail how bad and unnecessary this movie was. Uh, you know what? I, uh, I am one of those people who logged somewhere in the neighborhood of, I don't know, three, four, five, maybe five years worth of uh, wasted life playing Angry Birds Never uh, played games. it, not once. You know what? I played it once, and uh, I kid you not, it was like a heroine. Yeah. I, next thing I knew, I was lying on my back in a in a basement in a den with a bunch of other people. I I didn't know where I'd been for the last year and a half. I I had to go to twelve step and rehab. It was horrible. Uh, they made me give up my phone. It was really painful. Uh, the Angry Birds movie attempts to take the dynamic of the Angry Birds games, specifically the original Angry Bird game, which is you know you got these flightless birds that live on an island and a bunch of pigs show up and try to steal their eggs and then the birds have to you know organize to uh, get the eggs back it's the dumbest thing in the world that that whole concept just does not translate to movies there's an opening here which is about 6 minutes long 6 7 minutes long the kind of credit pre-credit opening which is wonderful and it raises your hopes and your expectations and then this thing just crashes and burns as soon as the dialogue what does it happens. look like what does the animation look like it's fine it's okay it's not great uh it's we're, we're, we're CG though right it's CG it's all CG this is this is 4K i guess they're hoping that the movie's uh failure to perform will somehow translate into people wanting to see it on 4K on on their TVs but i i i just don't see it um what's also- the point of 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 the angry birds Scenario: If you're not actually playing the game, I mean, if you're playing the game, okay, exactly. It's game. But if you're not playing the game, it's the same with anyone. Yeah, yeah, it's the same with any other video game that they make a movie of. You're, you're something where the entire joy of the experience is interactive is now supposed to be equally or more joyful without your ability to interact at all. Yeah, it makes no sense. But Ooh, that's, that's a, yeah, I guess that's how they justify the decisions. In any case, this thing is a very interesting combo pack. It includes not only a 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray, but also a Blu-ray 3D and a regular Blu-ray, and you get the ultraviolet code. Um, I have not yet seen a 4K release that packed all of that into one set. 4K, Blu-ray 3D, Blu-ray, and uh, ultraviolet. The only thing it's missing is a DVD. Um, it, it really doesn't benefit from any of this. I got to be honest. I, I think this is you know pure marketing. But I, you know maybe if you if you just want something to keep the kids busy, it's it's fine. Um, also, there's a Cinderella story if the shoe fits. Brand new uh, movie from uh, from Warner, which follows on this whole uh, Cinderella story thing, which I don't really quite get. But uh, a lot of people are obviously making money off of this, and most notably uh, Michelle Johnston, who produced it and directed it. And, um, you know, if you follow this, it's like this modern-day Cinderella thing that's a little bit Grease and a little bit Disney Channel. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of tween appeal, and I'm not a tween. I don't really get it. But uh, it does certainly make me terrified about what my daughter might want to watch in, uh, in another decade. So yeah. hopefully this, this thing runs its course over the next decade. Uh, let's see. What do I got over here? I got, um, I got one of those spring break movies. It's called, it's called Sundown. This is about a bunch of kids in the high school who are going to go to Mexico to uh, uh. or whatever they try to try to hook up with their high school crushes. And one of the kind of things, look, the point of this movie, um, you know, other than girls in bikinis, is the music. Uh, the executive music producer is Paul Oakenfold. Uh, and uh, DJ Steve Aoki pops up in this thing a whole bunch of times. So, you know, uh, that's digital uh, ultraviolet. You can just watch, watch it any place. It's rated R. I'm sure it's a lot of fun. 
Uh, I don't know. When we were kids, what would this have been? Would this have been? Would this have been? Was well, a movie called Spring Breakers, as I recall? Yeah, but you know, when we when we were younger, we had things like Joysticks and Hot Dog the movie, yeah. and it was it oh, was yeah, Hot Dog it, with the scheme. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot more tongue in cheek. Like even Fast Times, you know, the the Spring Break and sex comedy movies, they they kind of knew they were stupid, and they knew the people who were watching Porkies, right? Porkies. They were stupid. They knew that the people watching them were stupid, so they they sort of reveled in their stupidity and their obnoxiousness. These try to be a little bit more Itchier. yeah this yeah. little they take themselves a little too seriously yeah. i don't know if you watched this one but i did actually watch this uh, oh the jj thing the jj thing yeah, uh, with I did uh, not. james franco stephen king adaptation 112263 that's the date uh, that of course president kennedy was assassinated yeah. this is a jj abrams adapted stephen king thing for television it's a series starring james franco a guy who can time travel go he, it's, it's 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 interesting in that way he can he can travel in time and come back to the present day, right? Yeah. But he can only travel in time to one specific day, a couple of days, a couple of weeks before the Kennedy assassination. Uh-huh. And he does it several times to try to work his way through to mm-hmm. stopping that assassination. It ends up being a love story. Yeah. Because you know what? You can't stop Kennedy assassination. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting. And, and they notice, I've never been a big Stephen King guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, particularly the sort of monsters, you know, big spiders in the in, in the sewer, kind of Stephen King and all that kind of guy. Yeah. But but this is a neat little story here because it's not really at all you about know. trying to stop the assassination of President Kennedy. It's not I, about, I, it's about, I know it's about letting say. go. I know what you're saying. It's not about stopping Kennedy assassination. It's about stopping. <laughs> Bones from saving <laughs> Edith Keeler as she's trying to cross the street oh, so that Collins. Kennedy will Joan die. Collins, she was so yeah. hot in that yeah. episode. Uh, Western called Trade It. Uh, I don't know, modern day Westerns. I don't know about modern day Westerns. This is uh, Trace Atkins and Michael Perret. Remember Michael Perret? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Eddie, Eddie and the Cruisers and the uh, Philadelphia yeah, Experiment. Man, man. Yeah. I, I just think about him all the time. Christopher Some Stockton friends of mine went to law school with his wife. Really? Yeah, I remember that. It was very, very funny. Then when they said, "Yeah, Michael Prey's wife is is in our class in law school." I, yeah, that's interesting. This, yeah. is, this is a uh, this is a sort of um, a Sergio Leone looking thing uh, combined with a sort of lean Neeson taken kind of thing. You know, the, the searchers that that kind of thing. Uh, so you know, interesting yeah. interesting movie bonus. Um, uh, you got a couple of deleted scenes, and you got a commentary track on this thing. And then, uh, did you talk about this uh, anime, Red no, Sonia? No, no, that's uh, it's you know, I, it's not really anime per se. It's because it's Red Sonia. So oh yeah, I, that's I, right. That's true. It's not yeah. anime. Yeah, yeah, but animation. Yeah, uh, but it's, it's cool. It, it it's you know, it makes you forget about uh, Bridget Nielsen and that whole horrible '80s take on the character. And oh yeah, it, it, it kind of reconnects you to the the comic book origins, and it's 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 nice. I Red Sonia, because cool. I you know I didn't follow that much when I was a kid, so that's that's an interesting. Sort of thing there. Special feature featurette uh, featuring uh, brand new interviews with Gail Simone uh, as well as other members of the cast. Yeah, cool new animated Red Sonia. And then uh, three here. Careful what you wish for is uh, Nick Jonas trying to sort of. Bone up as a dramatic actor and follow in the footsteps of uh, people Zac like Efron, yeah, and all those guys. Whoever it might be. Yeah, uh, the idea, careful what you wish for is kind of it wants to be sort of thrillery and noirish. Uh, the idea here being that you got a uh, you got this you know kid who's going to go to college and winds up having an affair with the wife of uh, this 
investment banker paid by played by Dermot Mulroney. Um, and then all kinds of, you know, nasty, noirish, twisty stuff happens, and uh, Paul Sorvino shows up to make it feel really, really heavy. I and remember a time when, when, when a, if a pop star, you know, as big as a pop yeah. star as, as, as Jonas there is, made a movie, it was a big deal. Britney Spears' first movie. Yeah. It was like this really major yeah. deal. Yeah. Now, not so not much. Not so much, yeah. no. Yeah. Which is probably I, a good thing, but, you know, and it goes back forever. It, we go back it, much further with that. Oh, oh, even in the 70s, yeah, for sure. No, I mean, the, the funny thing here is that, you know, Paul Sorvino is clearly in this movie as like a, a, a sign to say to the audience, now we're serious. Like anytime Paul <laughs> Sorvino shows up in a movie, it's like, ooh, now we're, all right. All bets are off. Paul Sorvino's on the screen. You know, usually with a cigar, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in, like in Goodfellas, that cigar is, the, the continuity is all over the map. Playing, playing the most mobbed up mob I, guy. It, that, that's, seriously, when you watch Goodfellas, Sorvino's cigar, sometimes with a cut to the reverse, it's in his mouth, and then you cut back to another angle, and it's in between his fingers. There's no continuity whatsoever. It's all over the I just map. Did a, I just did a DIY for all where our continuity is hysterical. Yeah. Uh, and then we got to The Binding. Fear what you believe. Uh, those taglines always just rip me up. What does that mean, fear what you believe? <laughs> what does I, that I, I, mean? It, it just, anyway. Uh, so this is uh, one of those supernatural thriller slash horror films. Uh, kind of kind of in the, the um, Polanski vein. Uh, lots of Catholic symbolism and imagery and its you know, iconography. Um, no names in this thing. Uh, don't really need to be. This is from Scream Factory, Shout Factory subsidiary. Uh, it, you know what? The scares are good. The cast is decent. Uh, I mean, it's you know this thing didn't cost much, so it'll probably be perfectly fine. Uh, director Gus Krieger is uh, certainly has some skills, so I mean, I, I look forward to seeing what he does next. It's not bad, not great. It's perfectly fine, decent genre entry. And then here, uh, wrapping out our new films. I think this is the last. Of uh, I got a couple over. Yeah, here. That, that's those are docs. So we'll. Um, doc. Okay. We'll move into the docs here in a second. So wrapping out the new films this week is a real, really weird, strange thing. A Hologram for the King with Tom Hanks. Um, this is the most unfortunate and weird failure, I, uh, of perhaps, of Tom Hanks' career and certainly of Tom Tickford's career. Great German director Tom Tickford directed oh, this. Oh, yeah, Princess and the Warrior. Based on a novel... Uh, with Tom Hanks, and, and you know, this is building off of their relationship from Cloud Atlas, right? Where Tom Hanks was really pushing it, playing all way too many roles. And uh, you would think, Tom Tickford, Tom Hanks, amazing. And then as soon as this thing starts off with uh, a cover of, uh, you know, Talking Heads, mm -hmm. this is not my beautiful house, and Tom Hanks is, is doing the lyrics, and there's all this CGI, and it's like this weird dreamlike sequence, mm -hmm. you immediately know, okay, this is what's, what, it, this is not. Right. Mm -hmm. And what's going on here is Tom Hanks is a guy, a businessman, who's gone to Saudi Arabia to do some kind of a holographic business presentation for the king of Saudi Arabia to hopefully make a sale of this communication technology that his company has manufactured. If I've lost you with that narration, with that description, then the movie will, will lose you as well. Because mm -hmm. that's just the weirdest, that makes no sense. Why would you make a movie about that? Why would anybody want to? Well, what it really is, it's a fish-out-of-water story. Tom Hanks is this guy who needs money, and he's you know, got a grown daughter and a strange wife and the, you know, all these family issues and money issues, and he's just trying to make a late-life go of things, and he's a salesman, and the only thing standing between it is the, are the eccentricities of Saudi Arabia. But public beheadings and you know a crazy driver guy who drives him everywhere who's having an affair with his some with the wife of some guy that he knows and you know then there's this this uh, Saudi Arabian doctor who's 
played by an Indian actress, by the way. <laughs> Sarita, Sarita Chowdhury oh, plays, yeah. plays the, the part, so that makes no sense. And, uh, you know, then there's a bit of a romance with her, and none of this stuff hangs together, but it's supposed to be about a man's spiritual discovery in a strange land. And the fact that it's Saudi Arabia, which is politically very loaded in this day and age, just kind of undermines everything. Uh, a few little jokes with the Saudi locals about, hey, I think I'm CIA, you know. Those kind of fall on uh, like, a, like a lead brick. It's just a, a strange, weird, peculiar movie. It's not bad. It just kind of doesn't know what it is. It doesn't mm-hmm. know what it wants to do. Uh, and there's a special feature here on the adaptation, how they went from the novel to the movie, which makes you wonder even more, why would they do this? But in any case, it's on Blu-ray. It's got uh, ultraviolet, and uh, it's probably worth a look if you're a Tom Hanks fan. Uh, it's a very strange and unusual movie. Uh, who are we going to move with those documentaries? Uh, let's let's hit some docs. Uh, let's start off. You know what? Um, the, uh, the the costumer doc. Let's oh, talk about oh, that for uh, a second. Oh, w- women, he, women, he's undressed. women, he's undressed. Yeah. Because just to make a quick mention of that, I uh, I was supposed to have an interview with Gillian Armstrong, who directed this, the amazing director, the Australian director of you know Little Women and. Uh, uh, Oscar and Lucinda Oscar and Lucinda Mrs. Mrs. Soulful yeah yeah, yeah. all kinds of great movies she's just amazing I I did a few minutes with her on the phone she was in Australia it was a dodgy situation technically as to whether or not the 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 conversation would record it did not Mm. unfortunately but um, I will tell you she is an amazing lady she's a wonderful lady she's 65 now and as youthful as she's ever been and um, it's a really, really great doc, a great subject. This is about a Hollywood costume designer, Ori Kelly, who did so many of the most amazing movies that you just cannot believe. I mean, Casablanca and on and on and on. It's just, there, there's no end to it. Uh, one of the legendary costume designers of all time. And all of that is, is in here. He you know, won numerous Oscars, uh, costumed all the best. But it's also interesting that he, you know, he was, it talks about being a gay man at a time in Hollywood when... Certainly everybody knew, but then nobody, nobody wanted anybody else yeah. to know publicly. And uh, how that dovetails with his career and his relationships, very interesting stuff with, you know, Cary Grant, his relationship with Cary Grant. A lot of interesting stuff here. It's just a great snapshot of a man of Hollywood at a particular point in time. And uh, Gillian Armstrong was uh, really it, it just what she was telling me was just what a what a great discovery it was for her. Cause it's she, an interesting she knew, diversion for her. It, it really is. Not that she hasn't made other... Uh, documentaries, but yeah, yeah, but she knew nothing about him as well. It was a journey of discovery for her as well. So um, I, I, I wish I had that interview. Unfortunately, I don't. But uh, it was uh, you know a wonderful filmmaker, a wonderful film, and definitely worth exploring. Mm. Uh, this is an interesting doc. Uh, um, yeah, e homeless. Uh, this this is a this is a single documentary mm-hmm. made by a guy named uh, Greg Dunswheeler. Greg Dunswheeler. He's the the primary person in it. He, he's a person who is about to himself become homeless uh, because of the circumstances that he's in. So what he sets about doing is recording uh, the circumstances that will likely bring him to homelessness. And what we mm. see in watching this is exactly what it says in the tagline of this film. It can happen to anyone. Um, uh, if, if, if you think that you simply are not a person that this can, you look and you go, you walk down the street and see these people, make no mistake, this can happen to you, and that's what he tracks in this very, very sort of interesting film, um, uh, which uh, ironically, we, we, we visit a lot of homeless camps and things like that, and ironically, it's this film that probably kept him from becoming homeless. Very cool. It's cinema libre. Fascinating. Yeah. Uh, i got a trio of docs right here that I will uh, cut through uh, as quickly as possible. One... On both DVD and on Blu-ray is Out of Time, Saving the DeLorean Time Machine. Um, 
from the movie. Obviously, that should tell you out of time. DeLorean, this is from Virgil Films. You should know that that is all about uh, Back to the Future. But here's the thing. Uh, the, the, the DeLorean from the film... Like they often do with great things in, in great movies. Nobody mm-hmm. paid attention to it. It was like, why, why bother? It's a, it's a thing. It's done. It's, it's a prop, you know. And uh, this is all about how Bob Gale, who co-wrote and produced Back to the Future, uh, got together with Universal Studios. And uh, basically what they did to, you know, resurrect the life of that DeLorean from the movie so that it would not, uh, you know, be, end up on the junk heap of, uh, of history, literally and figuratively. Um, just wasn't being cared for. So it's, uh, it's actually really cool. There's a, uh, an audio commentary here, deleted scenes, stuff from the world premiere, stuff, a little featurette from the Peterson Audio Museum, which over here uh, they, on Wilshire, which they just restored and did a, a great thing. Anyway, it's basically a car restoration movie. And uh, it's, you know, I recommend it on Blu-ray because you really get to appreciate the detail of what goes into restoring a car. It is amazing. It is beautiful. And it's, um, you know, I remember when DeLoreans were new and they were all over the road. The, the, that stainless steel, weird they, still, they still have a very modern look to them. Yes, actually, they do. DeLoreans, DeLoreans yeah. were a mess, by the way. They had a fuel injection system that was perfectly ludicrous. Uh, and, and, and a CEO who, uh, who, who, who <laughs> John, you know, well, we won't get Well, it. you know, <laughs> you do what you got to do. Yeah. Um, and then we also have Spring and Arnaud, Art, Love, Mortality. Um, this, is a, this is a really, really cool um, documentary about a fascinating love story between two artists, uh, Arnaud Mags, who's 85, and uh, Spring Hurlbut, who's 60. Mags is a photographer. Hurlbut is also a, uh, an artist, and it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it's essentially about their how their love story manifests itself through their, their joint arts, their joint uh, artistic efforts. And um, it's, it's, there's almost no other way to describe it. It's a really, really, really fascinating film. It's a fascinating look at art and how two people express themselves both to the world and to each other. And it's just, uh, it, it's just u- unique in just an, a fascinating and compelling way. It's first-run features released this and uh, just one, an absolutely beautiful and engaging documentary on so many levels. And then last, lastly, also from first-run features, a uh, fantastic doc here, The Professor, Tai Chi's Journey West. Um, director of this should be doing a lot of other really great stuff. Barry Strugatz, really, really good work. Uh, this is essentially about uh, Cheng Man Ching, who is a Tai Chi master, one of the legendary Tai Chi masters, who is essentially the man responsible for bringing Tai Chi to the West in the 1960s. And uh, this, you know, with archival footage and more recent footage and interviews and, you know, everything that you need in a documentary of this sort, this is the story of how Tai Chi came out of China and became kind of a Western phenomenon, Mm -hmm. which it continues to be to this day. Uh, It's still not quite what it is, obviously, in, uh, in Asia. It's only 72 minutes long, so this thing just blows through this history at a brisk pace, but it's really fascinating. And... You know, we see Thai people doing Tai Chi every once in a while here, but I remember when when uh, when we were in Hong Kong in '97, which was right after the. It's when I did yeah, my three bucket those. my three bucket list items. I went to we went to the uh, 50th anniversary Cannes Film Festival, where my wife had worked on the Vim Vendors film, and then we uh, went to Hong Kong before the handover, right and then came the home and flew all the way around the globe. So I got three bucket lists out of the way. But when you're in Hong Kong and you wake up in the morning and you walk out into the park, it's like. 
old people just doing tai chi yeah. every day, every morning. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's part of the culture. You know, it's just such a natural and accepted thing. It's like people jogging here. Yeah, yeah. And um, so it's it's really interesting to see how that you know emerges from one culture and is absorbed into another. Really yeah. great movie. I got a, I got a, I got the last uh, couple of docs here. Humpback Whales, which is narrated by Ewan McGregor. This is a Greg McGilvery film. I used to cover all of those films back in the day. They they do all those large format. IMAX films about nature, you know, uh, under the ocean, uh, above the polar ice cap, that kind of stuff. This one is about humpback wells. It has some absolutely stunning photography in it. Uh, 4K IMAX, there's a making of feature ret uh, that that comes with that. Then we have uh, comics beyond the comic book pages. This is a neat little doc uh, about the comic book industry as told by the creators of the comics. Uh, nice. So, you know, obviously you got your Stan Lee and all of those kind of guys in there. But, you know, anybody who ever played a comic book hero back in the old days or designed or wrote, all of these people talking about what they do and why they did it and the way it works and that kind of stuff. Um, uh, Kino Lorber puts this out. And then this is uh, this is not a documentary, but this is one of the animations way, the um, Big Friendly Giant. I do not remember this on television. I don't either, and uh, I don't think anyone's going to remember the Spielberg film either. <laughs> yeah, and, and obviously, you know, that, one of the reasons why that, I, yeah. they, they, they rushed to put this out. Really weird the way that Spielberg film hit the wall. It, it's, you know, the whole, the whole summer has been weird in that regard, and uh, Suicide Squad does, as we were talking about at the top of the show, uh, kind of feels like the last straw. Like That was the one everybody was hoping would somehow redeem the summer. Yeah. I mean, especially when an X-Men film fails and Batman versus Superman fails. I mean, this, all the these... Star Trek movie was so-so. I mean, it did yeah. better financially, yeah, but, you know, but, people you know, aren't, aren't excited about it. It's not like a, not Ghost, like a Star Wars film. Ghostbusters is going to lose $70 million. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's turning into, like, the big bust summer. Which I don't see before. Sausage Party doing that well this weekend. Yeah. I do. I, I mean, it'll probably it'll probably win the box office. The thing of it is, nothing has legs. Nothing has a second week. Even except when except has, Finding Dory. Finding, finding Dory oh, is the well, one. Well, Finding Dory. How far are we going to go? We're going to go back to Zootopia. You yeah. Know, I mean, we can say those two animated films have. But yeah. but if you're talking about you know legit summer, legit summer, this has been a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. It has. Uh, and then uh, before we get into uh, classic films here, we uh, we are uh, covering stuff from WWE again. We uh, kind of uh, disconnected from them for a little bit, but we're back on track. And for wrestling fans, uh, there's some uh, stuff that's been released recently I'll make quick mention of. Eric Bischoff, sports entertainment's most controversial figure. If you're into wrestling, you know who Eric Bischoff is, and he is indeed very, very controversial. Um, but you know what? He just uh, he, he's, he gets under everybody's skin. He gets under the skin of people at home and people uh, in wrestling. <laughs> he's just he's a, he's a he's a gadfly guy. And uh, this is on Blu-ray. It's all about Eric Bischoff. That's obviously a, a bone to people who actually know who he is. Uh, the Scott Hall story, you know, another another big deal in wrestling. Uh, this is, you know, I mean, lots of steroids there. I guess that'll that'll get you far. Uh, that's on Blu-ray, and then uh, these are the ones that are probably more uh, straight up for uh, traditional wrestling fans. Uh, U.S. Championship Legacy of Greatness. This goes, you know, all the way through uh, a lot of uh, legendary figures, and you know. Nature Boy, Ric Flair, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah, those are um, my guys. Those are yeah, my guys. Now you know, back you, you, you reach back. John Cena, obviously, uh, more recent figures. And then uh, straight out of Dudleyville, <laughs> the legacy of the Dudley Boys. Um, pretty funny, actually. Uh, you know, uh, Bubba Ray and Devon Dudley. 
a um, lot of really very entertaining, funny characters in the world of wrestling. And uh, this, even for people who aren't, who think wrestling is like fake, I'll t- I guarantee it. It's not fake. It's real, man. <laughs> it's totally legit. Up and uh, uh, straight up. These guys prove it. Um, and uh, I hope people know I'm being tongue in cheek there. Uh, Tim, let's let's rock the uh, let's rock the. Um, Classic film stuff here. Uh, and that, that, it is, that, that wonderful it is for, pioneers of African American cinema. Fortuitous that you are here because you are uh, you are so more schooled on this than anybody what's, else. What's wacky about this is I'm sitting here, the black dude. You're sitting there, the white dude. I <laughs> begged these. I begged Kino. I know for I, this set so I could talk about it. Who did yeah. they send it to you? Send it to I'm me. sorry, it's because I'm black. <laughs> that's, why, that's why they did it. Martin, uh, Martin Scorsese says it. This was spent, this was crowdfunded. This was a crowdfunded, which yeah. you told me about, and I did yeah. not know about. They yeah. raised um, uh, close to sixty thousand dollars to do this. It involves Southern Methodist University. So this is a wonderful uh, documentary set that co- actually comes with a wonderful little booklet as well, featuring um, most of the most important uh, cinema. Uh, coming out of the black community from the beginning of cinema, 1895, straight through Oscar Michaud and Spencer Williams and all of these guys. And these are all figures that most people don't know about. I mean, this is kind of a hidden history. Well, one of the, one of the things that I always like to talk talk about when it comes to, you know, obviously in the last few years we've had this issue in Hollywood, uh, you know, Oscar's so white, right. diversity in terms of gender and race uh, in, in Hollywood television and movies. This has been a very important subject. It, it, it has actually caused the Academy to make changes in what it does. Most most of which I think are positive changes. I think some of some of them were sort of knee-jerk overreactions in the moment, have that. you know, where they, that, they yeah. like just just they didn't want the bad PR, so they kind of did something hasty and and they they've corrected most of the the overreaction. I think they're what and, they're doing. And, is good. and of course anything that the academy does will only address half of the problem because exactly. the other half of their problem exists in the studio suites. Now yep. what which brings me around to 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 my point about this. These are films Fundamentally made by black folks from, like I said, the 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 1890s or early 1900s uh, through the middle 50s, early 60s, by in studios that were owned and run by black folks. You know, the, 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 which you know, nobody knows about. The, the I mean, only, the, there was an uh, there's a long history of black folks making films for. Uh, themselves and about the black community that that they actually own. We Oscar Michaud and Spencer Williams, so many others. Uh, the Blood of Jesus is in this set. There's several films in this set, um, more than we can actually go through, dating all the way back to about 1915 or so. Uh, Two Nights of Vaudeville, uh, starring everyone from you know Herb Jeffries to uh, Paul Robeson. Uh, to Spencer Williams, of course, um, uh, and uh, films made by filmmakers, like I said, who you've probably never heard of but ought to know, including filmmakers who did pioneering things in the technical art of cinema as well, which is a very important thing to talk about. Um, so crowdfunding, um, I see this. I see this as a really a, a sort of a landmark little situation. It is, here. and I and I hope I hope that this succeeds in a way that it enables um, more stuff like this because. There are all kinds of great little uh, nooks and crannies to American film history that get lost. You know, Poverty Row. Oh yeah. The history of the Poverty Row movies yeah. is like. I mean, that's the. You know, I wonder how many of those even are are being preserved. You could find the same thing in women's cinema. Most people, uh, Alice uh, Guy yeah. Blaché. Yeah. You know, we, we never heard of her. This yeah. is a woman who had a studio, her own studio, yep. in New Jersey. Two years before D.W. Griffith. Yep. Actually, you know, so we can we can go into a whole yeah. lot of this stuff. Chicago, a lot of the filmmakers um, who were making films and own studios that are reflected in this set, pioneers of uh, of African American cinema is the name of the set, folks, worked out of Chicago. 
yeah. in the early 1900s. If you go to State Street in Chicago, yeah. you can still find some of the buildings where, where, where they actually made these films, including um, Birth of a Race, which is a very interesting sort of film that didn't come off. The, it was supposed to be a response to Birth of a Nation. It's, yeah. it's spoken to a little bit in the set. Uh, our our colleague Ray Green did yeah. the uh, yeah. sort of discussion of that entire fiasco and what happened there. So interesting stuff. Pioneers for African American Cinema from Kino Lorber, excellent five disc collection. You know, my father actually uh, acted in one silent film. Really? Yep, he did. And I have. And, and uh, it's funny because I talked to Kevin Brownlow years ago. You know, Brownlow's yeah. the one of the godfathers of uh, silent film archivism. And uh, and I, I mentioned it to him, and I sent him all. You know, I have a review of it, a clipping from nineteen, whatever it is, nineteen eighteen, nineteen nineteen, and uh, and and he said, I'll I'll see what I can do. And he said, You know, I can't find anything on this, but uh, doesn't mean it won't turn up at some yeah, point. Yeah, so I keep thinking about that stuff. You but never it was know. A, it was an independently produced thing. How old was, would he have been? Oh, let's see. He would have been. That's the middle. That's the middle of the silent have, era. Yeah, he would have been. Uh, let's see, about twenty six, twenty seven. About twenty six. Yeah, oh, yeah. That, that age. Yeah. Oh man, we we gotta find that. We I know. One that. one day, it's in somebody's basement. I'm sure. Uh, anyway, got a bunch here from Olive. Olive has released a, a, a really a kind of an incredible uh, onslaught of uh, films over the last few weeks. So let me go through this as fast as I can, just to to let you know that all on Blu-ray, all of them. Most of them really, really worth paying attention to. From 1934, Neath the Arizona Skies. That is Neath. Not beneath, but Neath with an apostrophe. Uh, a, one colloquial, of, a colloquial, a southern colloquialism. A southern colloquialism. One of uh, John Wayne's earliest films. Uh, 1934, you know, this is before he even made Stagecoach. This is early John Wayne, uh, early Western with uh, Yakima Canut in it as well. And it is, uh, you know what, it's... It's just an early, low-budget Western, but you see a lot of talent really, really coming of age here. It's a, it's a fun film. Uh, the Outsider, really interesting film from 1980. Really fascinating to me that Olive uh, grabbed this, because this is not a, a terribly well-known film. Uh, based on a novel called The Heritage of Michael Flaherty. Uh, this is a 1980 film, which is it's fictional, but it really deals with a lot of issues that were very, very legit at the time. Uh, basically about a Vietnam vet comes home and uh, decides that in order to sort of have, you know, add meaning to his life, he, he uh, goes to Ireland to, uh, you know, basically join the cause of the IRA in fighting the British, you know, bring some of that little Vietnam uh, moxie and keep the fight going and uh, winds up being very disillusioned as a result. It, it's, it's an interesting thing because, you know, we were of a certain age yeah. during that time. And that was the thing that actually went on during that time, right? Yeah. You, had these, you had these Vietnam vets coming back here. They would face all of this ugliness here, right? Yep. In Ireland, the IRA guys were heroes. Yeah. So they would, particularly if they had any sort of a connection, sort yes. of a, you know, the thinnest sort of Irish connection, they would go there, take all their skills, and 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 do you know what was actually some pretty heinous stuff. Yeah. But nevertheless, they were heroes there while they were goats here. Yeah. In, in the, you know the middle till of nineteen seventy. It's fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, another western. This one's from nineteen fifty six. This is James Arness, Gun the Man Down. Uh, this is uh, directed by Andrew V. McLaughlin, who is one of those workaday guys who just made tons and tons of westerns, and they're all a lot of fun. They're all uh, uh, immensely watchable. Um, and you know what? James Arness, I mean, he's not John Wayne, but he's still James Arness, and he's a yeah. lot of fun, and he's darn good, and he's Marshall Matt Dillon, and he's uh, Zeb McCann, and he's, you know, so many great figures from uh, great westerns on TV. Uh, Harry Carey Jr. also shows up in this as a, as, a, as a lawman, which is a lot of great, a lot of other people from other westerns. It's just a good, solid western, 1956. Gun the man down. 
A um, couple of gangster films here of different types. Hoodlum with uh, Lawrence Fishburne, Tim yeah. Roth, and Vanessa Williams. I did the um, junket for that movie. This, you know what? There was, a, there was a whole streak of films around the time that Bugsy was released. Yeah. And there was Hoodlum, and there was this, and there was uh, Gangsters. You had Rage in Harlem. And, and, and they uh, were all dealing with the same figures. It was, you know, a little bit of Bugsy, a little Luke, Lucky Luciano. They would lose they, those. They, all, they, they, you know, we had like five or six different actors who played each of these parts over about a three and a half year yeah. period. Yeah, that really, middle, the sort of early, middle 90s, yeah. Yeah, you know, anyway. Uh, you know what? This one's not bad. Uh, I remember thinking it was junk at the time I saw it. Andy Garcia playing Lucky Luciano. was like, you're Cuban. I don't, it makes no sense at all. Um, but uh, you know what? I, in hindsight, I, I'm a little nostalgic was for it. Was that Bill Duke? It. Yeah, it was Bill Duke. Bill Duke, yeah. Bill Duke. Yeah. Uh, Bill Duke, when he had that uh, that moment in his uh, in his directing career, and uh, you know, Rage in Harlem was another one that he yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deep cover. I, you know, Bill Duke should be should still be directing stuff like this. The He's guy, yeah, guy, guy, guy. Bill Duke. He's got chops. Yeah, He's got yeah. chops. Bill Duke and good actor too. Let's yeah. not forget uh, American Gigolo. Predator. On oh, Predator, yeah. Predator. He was a scary dude in Predator. And then we have uh, Gang Related with James Belusi and Tupac Shakur. Um, his, his, was that Tupac's... That's, that's Tupac's last film, right? I, boy. Either last question. or second to last. You know, my, my, my wife worked on a, a Tupac Shakur film at one point, And I remember the, 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 the humor... Uh, the irony uh, coming back from the set, which was, you know, a lot of people were like, Tupac thinks he's a gangster. He sits in his trailer with a three fifty seven Magnum revolver sitting on his lap. Why is he doing that? It's a movie set. No, it has security. Why are you doing that? That was just his whole, you know, yeah. the image. And he just, he, that was his thing. It, it, and you know what? You, you live a life. Yeah. Life will eventually come and it to. caught up with him, yeah. but uh, still an amazing talent. You know, the it, stuff you know his... what? That's the thing I want to say you, as I sit here and poke tu- Tupac. Because I interviewed Tupac, a movie called Juice, about 1990 yeah. 1991. And, uh, you know, I talked to this And this is his final film. And that is I his, final his final film. And, and yeah. so, I, so I interviewed him for his final film, for his original, for his first film, and, and, and in between. And what I saw was the development of an actual actor. Yeah. That kid could act. Uh, and you know that's all just a terrible shame. But there you go. It's it's a shame. Uh, the ratings game, man, is this uh, a blast from the past? Danny DeVito, Rhea Perlman. Uh, this is a riot. This thing is so funny. This is completely remastered. A wonderful, wonderful special edition that has a whole bunch of Danny DeVito shorts on it, which are all great and hilarious and weird and funny. Um, the, this is this is essentially about a guy who uh, is in the trucking industry and wants to become a Hollywood producer, and it is about how they actually manage to subvert the television rating system, and it is amazing. Danny DeVito directed this. This was his, his first big move as a director. Uh, it's really what got him his, his filmmaking career and led to things like uh, Throw Mama from the Train and, and other great movies, and you know this is just great. 1984, really, really fun film. A lot of great cameos. Uh, I, you know, it, it just it's a it's a cool culty blast from the past. Uh, Robert Townsend in The Meteor Man. Oh man, I did oh, the junket for that film. Speaking of speaking of uh, superhero movies, this is when Townsend was still trying to sort of keep a career going that had been launched with uh, 
Hollywood uh, Hollywood uh, Hollywood sh- uh, shuffle was his. I always can confuse him with uh, Keenan Ivory Wayans as a yeah. Well, you know, Townsend was never a great director, but always a very interesting writer. I, I feel like he should have gotten somebody else to direct some of his scripts so that he could not sort of worry about being in them and behind the camera. You, you think about a film like The Five Heartbeats, which was his big which film, which is a de- really decent, film. really decent film, yeah, and more of a sort of TV level quality there. But again. Take that material and put it in the hands of, I don't know, in 1990, whoever would have been the guy. Yeah. Yeah. In 1990. And, and Robert's in that film, too. So he's, yeah. a, he's an actor. And you got yourself an Academy Award nominated for the film there. I right? agree. You got, he, you, yeah, I don't know. But this is still a fun film. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of heart to his movies, and I don't think he's been given enough well, credit Well, what, what Robert was trying to do back in the day was to give the black community images and ideas that no one else, that was, no giving one else was giving them. Exactly. So, you know, that's the way to go, Robert. Uh, another one from the uh, from the past that they have resurrected over at Olive. Tell me that you love me, Junie Moon. This is a really really obscure 1969 Otto Preminger movie, uh, starring Liza Minnelli and uh, Ken Howard. That just uh, has really fallen off the radar. So I, I have to salute Olive for resurrecting this thing. Um, she basically uh, this is just one of you know Liza Minnelli was. Is such an interesting actress at this point in her career, and yeah. um, this is uh, you know before she really stormed onto the the stage with uh, Cabaret. Cabaret really is what made her. But the movies that she made leading up to that were really interesting, and especially you know with Otto Preminger directing her, um, really really fascinating. Some of the middle sixties uh, quasi flower yeah. child movies, you know. Yeah, and I mean you know the I mean just the the idea of these these outcasts, and that's basically what this is about. This is a kind of a it, I, it's not like Cuckoo's Nest Outcasts. It's not asylums, but it's it, these are people who are on the margins of society. I won't give you any of the further details because a lot of that is, is a nice surprise in the movie. But they're on the margins of society, and uh, that's tough to make to to play marginal and sympathetic. You know, it, it, you 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 can get into bathos very very easily and just think that because I'm somebody who has a disability or whatever mm-hmm. that you're automatically going to sympathize and I don't have to build a character. But they don't. You know, and Preminger makes sure they work their asses off. It's beautiful. Uh, Charles Bronson in Messenger of Death. Uh, pretty standard uh, Bronson film from getting, the 80s. Getting, getting toward the middle, the yeah. back end of that, the, that the only, run. Man. The only reason to watch this is Jay Lee Thompson directing it, who you know really kind of brings it. Uh, then we've also got uh, John Mills and Luciana Paluzzi in uh, A Black Veil for Lisa, which is a pretty great kind of Euro-noir. Uh, from 1968, uh, a little bit of you know French New Wave, a little bit of uh, Hollywood noir on the tail end. It's a it's a, it's, a, it's a good film. Uh, this is the uh, I'm going to actually save that for the, for the end. Uh, this is a movie that I just absolutely have no love for, but I know some people do. Saved with uh, Mandy Moore. Um, interesting because you know it's got Macaulay Culkin and Patrick Fugit in it. Uh, this is essentially kind of based in fact about kids that uh, go to you know uh, these yeah, these like those camps those religious uh, yeah. reformation camps. It's a little bit hokey. It's a little bit uh, exploitative. Wild in the Streets, great classic from 1968. Totally of the era. Um, Am I nuts or is Richard Pryor in that movie? Richard Pryor is in this movie. That's, that's like Absolutely. his first or second movie. Yeah, Hal he, like the, the, he plays like the drummer. That's a yep. psychedelic movie. That movie, freaky movie runs on the over-the-air broadcast chat network called, I think it's called The Works. Oh, really? Or something like that. I watch that movie all the time. Great, great snapshot of the era. Really, really interesting movie. 
Um, uh, you know, it's Christopher Jones and Shelley Winters who who essentially star in this. But yes, Richard Pryor, Hal counterculture Hall, film, Harold Holbrook, Larry Bishop, Hal Holbrook. Uh, you know, Ed Begley even somehow pops in Larry there. Bishop is already forty in that movie. Isn't I don't that know funny? How that, he's, no it's matter weird. what happens, he's already. Uh, but this was uh, this was a great uh, Sam Markoff, James Nicholson, uh, American International production. And it wound up in the Orion Library, which put it over with MGM. And that's how Olive was able to put this one out. And boy, do they have a gem there. Uh, the Pride and the Passion, really, really cool film. Cary Grant, Frank Sinatra, Sophia Loren, worth seeing just because the three of them are in it. Uh, that alone carries this film. This is from 1957. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit of an unusual uh, story to stick those three in because it's Napoleonic era. And those are three people that sort of don't really belong in the Napoleonic era. I don't really think of Cary Grant and Frank Sinatra as no. Napoleonic. Yeah. Sophia Loren, I'll, I'll buy her in any era. Yeah, she has the nose anyway. But, but uh, yeah, exactly. But uh, it's worth seeing. It's a, it's a weird kind of strange Stanley Kramer artifact from the past. That's worth it. And then lastly, here's the other olive stuff that's worth talking about this week. American Ninja. Oh, yeah, baby. American Ninja 2. Golem Golovas, baby. American Ninja 3. And American Ninja 4. American Ninja, that first one is 1985, 30 years ago, plus 30 plus, if, in case you're thinking about it. Absolutely. And Michael you know, Dudikoff. What's interesting here is that Michael Dudikoff made all of these, and Steve James, after the third one, said, I am so done, I'm out. <laughs> and David Bradley steps in and uh, picks up the slack in American Ninja 4. Uh, Steve James, I give him credit, he, he knew when to quit. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> quit all together too, didn't but, he? But, uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, these movies have a weird... Sam Furstenberg directed I'm, I'm not going to pretend like I was not a ridiculous fan no, of terrible. those movies 30 years ago. They're, I watched them, but they were bad then. But there was a whole run of those... those you know, I mean, there was a whole run of those things. Yeah, man. They're, they're terrible, but they're fun and nostalgic. Yeah, yeah, so. what are you gonna do? Uh, I got a couple over here. Oh, uh, this is the Twilight Time the stack. Twilight Time, the, 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 yeah. Z- the Zelik being the first one in the stack. Which I is that love Zelik. How, how did Twilight Time end up with Zelik? Okay, so so this is the deal. Um, Twilight Out of Orion, Time, obviously, originally Orion. Twilight Time, like uh, like uh, all of films, they will they they basically will go and they've been mining the uh, the the libraries of the studios that they have contract. Uh, uh, you know, relationships with, mm-hmm. and they license this stuff for limited three thousand copy runs. And uh, you go to twilighttimemovies.com, and that's where you can order them. And they've just been releasing all the Woody Allen stuff on Blu-ray because it. They frankly are are doing limited runs, and I my guess is that they just do a better. You know, people now expect the the, the Woody Allen stuff from Twilight Time, so they associate the brand with Woody Allen, and they're. Yeah, you know, they're able to find these movies more effectively. Is 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 are, do they are they coming out under uh, I don't know the MGM banner? No, the, nothing. Just, no. just strictly Twilight. Strictly Twilight. No, 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 Twilight. This is this is Twilight Times baby right now. So they've been releasing a lot of great Woody stuff, and this is the one that I'm just in love with. I think this is this might be my favorite Twilight Time release of all time. Well, I just yeah, love Blu-ray, obviously, isolated score on this one. Uh, and and of course it's Zelik, so you know it's, yeah, it's, it's great. Zelik. He's I mean it's you know this is Woody doing the mock documentary thing, and it's yeah, just, it's yeah. so unbelievably funny, and it's About such a comedian. great character. Uh, yeah, really, you know, classic Woody has a new movie out right now, Cafe Society, which I enjoyed. I have not seen yet. I, I thoroughly enjoyed Cafe Society. It's a very sharp movie. It's, it's Woody being reflective again, as he has been being for the last yep. I don't know whatever six, seven, eight, nine years. Uh, but it's also dark, Woody. That movie, Cafe Society, is yep. set right before the war in the 30s here in L.A. and in New York. Yep. And, dude, Cafe Society is bullet-in-the-head violent. Like, at least <laughs> six people 
gets shot in the head Unreal. in cafe society, and Woody don't cut away. Um, you also gave me uh, The Black Stallion Returns uh, yes. o- over here, which, is, of course, is another extraordinary film. This is also Twilight Time, of course, another isolated score with the original trailer. You know, I mean, you know these films, of course. Uh, yeah, it's uh, not the same as the original, but it's still a really great sequel. It's a zoetrope film, and, and yeah. Francis is executive producing yeah. that film, so it's a, it's, a, it's a ridiculously beautiful film is what it is. Uh, Miss Sadie Thompson in 3D. Uh, you know, this, uh, the, the night, you want to grab the game yeah. here, there. That's a, this is a neat film as well. Uh, uh, again, special features include the isolated music score. I, I love the, I got to tell you, I love the isolated music scores. I, I wish more um, uh, releases in every genre would have an isolated music score. Uh, audio commentary with film historians David uh, Del Valle and uh, Steve Peros, and that's uh, Miss Sadie Thompson in 3D. Yeah, Twilight Time, a Russia House. Now, this is not one of your better no. John Le Carre uh, adaptations and releases. This is Fred Shepsey. Talk to Fred. Oh, he had a lovely little movie out with uh, uh, Clive Owen Clive and Juliette Owen Binoche. and Juliette Binoche about yep. the teaching. Yep. Well, talk to Fred for that movie. He's yeah. you know fantastic. First Fred, Fred uh, All of Me and yeah. Roxanne and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, look, Michelle Pfeiffer is the thing that this film has to offer. She was absolutely extraordinary in the film, uh, doing that Russian accent. Uh, <laughs> and you know, it's nineteen. This is like nineteen ninety three or something. Sean like Connery, Sean Connery in the film, but not the That's top. Such of an eighties pairing, Sean Connery and Michelle Pfeiffer yeah, makes yeah. me swoon a little. <laughs> He's a little goofy. Uh, Doctor Butcher. Uh, is this from Twilight? This is not from no, Twilight Times. No, no, no. We're moving to a I got the last two Twilight Times over oh, here. Oh, you, you knocked those off. Yeah, so the last two Twilight Times, uh, Hound of the Baskervilles, uh, the uh, the version that features uh, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee and, of course, uh, Andre Morel. Uh, really, one of the, you know, this has been done a few times. This is certainly one of the less faithful but one of the more impressive ones. Uh, this is from the Hammer Film uh, Collection. Uh, when Hammer was, you know, willing to do a few pretty awesome movies once in a while, they've kind of that resurrection of Hammer has stagnated lately. And then the last Twilight Time is a fascinating artifact. The gang's all here. This is a uh, Technicolor film by Busby Berkeley from 1943, which is um, this is one of a, a of a peculiar kind of film that they did, uh, especially in the 1940s in the war years, where um, a lot of these movies were almost like. Uh, Star Palooza showcases where it, you know mm. there'd be next to no plot, but we're just going to line up all of our actors and we're going to put them in a movie that will people will pay for, which will basically be an extended commercial for our brand, the yeah. people that be us, the, the the actors people associate with us, and it'll set us up to release other movies. And that's kind of in a sense what this is. It's a it's a really peculiar movie, but it's got so many great performances in it. Uh, Carmen Miranda, Benny Goodman, I mean, on and on and on. It's really, really great. Nicely, nicely directed. Um, just a really fun, weird uh, 1940s uh, effort. It's, it's definitely worth checking out. It is The Gang's All Here. Lots of great music, lots of great fun. Uh, Busby Berkeley at his very best and in Technicolor <laughs> no, no, no less uh, our Cohen Media Group film I, I don't you happen to be this is the, the last diamond Eric Barbier yeah uh, you don't, didn't happen to do the uh, commentary on this did you? no no not that this, one this is, not you. This is no, a great no. film it's a, it's a diamond heist movie uh, uh, and I, I always dug this movie it's pretty cool uh, this particular one no you're, you're not on this 2014 drama uh, and it has all kinds of neat stuff on it, including an interview with uh, Babier and uh, the stars, including uh, Yvonne Atal. Uh, I got some uh, 
Warner Archive stuff, I will move through here and let you know what you can expect in the Warner Archive collection because they've got some really good stuff, especially a couple of Blu-rays. But first, the DVD-Rs, the uh, manufacturer on demands, uh, most recently released Bruce Willis in one of his most underrated performances in Norman Jewison's In Country. Yeah, um, I, I, I loved that movie at the time. Yeah, I love that movie because it's a Vietnam movie that doesn't take place in Vietnam at all. It's all here. It's yep. called In Country, but the entire movie takes place here. And, and he's just this returned Vietnam vet uh, who's going through it. Uh, yeah, and it's that's really, it. It's that's, really a, that's the way to do it. And, uh, and not such a bad James Horner score. And I will also say uh, co-written by Frank Pearson, oh, really? who recently passed away, former president of the Writers Guild and a longtime uh, neighbor of mine. Oh, really? Used to see him drive by all the time. Mm-hmm. And saw him once at like a homeowners association meeting. And that was the first time I realized he was a neighbor. Went to this. Actually, believe it or not, Went to a homeowners association meeting, and this is years and years and years ago, at Mark Hamill's house. I'm name, dro- I'm name dropping like a scumbag right now. So, so I go to a homeowners association meeting at Mark Hamill's house, and Frank Pearson is there, and I say, "Oh, hello, Frank. Haven't seen you since we." No, uh, no. I mean, it was it was surreal. It's like you're at Mark Hamill's house, and there's Frank Pearson, and of course, I'm I'm you know I'm like a teenager at the time, and I'm like it just it freaks you out a little bit. So uh, who's anyway. the girl in that? I forget who. The, who's the girl in that? Uh, the, the girl is Emily Lloyd. Emily Lloyd. I Emily Lloyd. So she sort of went away there. She did go away, and she was such the big thing, right? For a minute. Uh, Deanna Durbin, It's a Date, with uh, Walter Pidgeon and Kay Francis, uh, directed by Joe Pasternak. This is just a, you know, just this is just another wonderful classic Hollywood black and white, uh, lovely movie from the from the golden era. Um, it's a musical comedy, you know. It's 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 fun. It's got some good songs. It's got some good performances. It's uh, you know, it's not a great film, but it's a good solid film. It's really representative of the era, and uh, all these people are fun. Uh, you know, um, actually, Joe Pasternak produced it. William Sider directed it. I take it back. Norman Krasna is the uh, the real talent here. Norman Krasna wrote so many great screenplays and just really fun. Uh, Fred Zinnemann. Oh, Fred. Uh, made another one of his underrated films later in his career. Five Days, One Summer. Uh, with Sean Connery and uh, introducing that's Betsy, like the, that's like the early '80s. Yeah, yeah. introducing this is right right near the end uh, of his career. This is one of those lad company things when they, you know it's like the Blade Runner era, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, Betsy Brantley and also introducing Lambert Wilson, yes, the yes. French actor, yeah, who yeah. of course we we all know now from. Uh, Matrix movies where he's much, much older. Uh, Doc Hollywood, Michael J. Fox. I did the junket for that, too. <laughs> Woody Harrelson. Talk, talk, about, talk about dropping crap. Uh, I'm dropping. I did, I, did, I did like a junket for every movie this in the early Mike, Michael J. Fox getting his, uh, you know, his feature career going around the same, roughly around the same time as uh, Back to the Future. Yeah. Uh, Michael Caton Jones directed this when he had a, had a career going. That was in the 80s. I'm like, what's happened to him, too? And then lastly, the two Blu-rays, the Warner Archive Blu-rays. These are coming out more and more, and I can't say enough about them. These are just every single one of them is a golden is a, is a golden must have. Uh, Fred Astaire and Sid Charisse and Silk Stockings, amazing. I'm gonna say it, Tim. It's sacrilege. I know I'm not supposed to say this. Um, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, not the best pairing. Really? I'm I'm gonna say it right now. What, what, I, what's, the, I, what's the problem? Fred, Fred Astaire was better with uh, first of all with Sid Charisse. This is just amazing. This is phenomenal stuff. Sid Charisse is a better dancer than Ginger Rogers. Not a better actress, mm. but a better dancer okay. by far. I just think Fred wants to lead, and Ginger let him lead. You know, Sid is like, yeah, you know, I can get dance. out of my way. I can dance. <laughs> and uh, and also, uh, I mean, just you know, come on. And then um, also, you realize that Fred Astaire, before any of these other partners, 
Leslie Caron, who apparently was uh, a little bit too good for him and upstaged him, so uh, he didn't want her as a partner anymore, which I think is silly. He, he was too old for all those women. Yeah. He's like, and uh, to have and have not, uh, Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, speaking of great movie uh, pairings in uh, the, the adaptation of the Ernest Hemingway, directed by Howard Hawks, um, really just fabulous film. Uh, it's, this is as good as it gets, you know. It really is. One, just a classic Warner Brothers uh, Classic Warner Brothers film in every respect. Hawks, Hemingway, Bogart, McCall. I don't know how much more, you know, Blu-ray. And some great special features here. Uh, a vintage Mary Melodies short called Bacall to Arms uh, from 1946, which obviously, uh, you know, factors into this. So that's a, that's a great extra. It just it puts you right back in the era. And then um, also the uh, Lux Radio broadcast of uh, A Love Story, The Story of To Have and Have Not with Bogart and McCall. Mm. Um, so it, you know, this is great. Uh, it's a little bit, you know, in the uh, in the Casablanca vein, but it's it has its own it has its own character and its own you know guts, and it's just wonderful. Uh, and William Faulkner co-wrote the uh, the screenplay, so Faulkner doing a screenplay based on Hemingway. And yeah. I mean, it's just it's great. It's when a great movie. The and a gorgeous, is actually extraordinary. Gorgeous, in gorgeous movie. I just got one over here, Doctor Butcher, MD. This is one of those sort of uh, yeah uh, late seventies, early eighties uh, gore movies, the zombie holocaust movies. Uh, it's actually pretty neat. This is a, over two and a half hours worth of totally uncut Dr. Butcher, MD. This was never my kind of stuff. Uh, it, it, it comes from Severin, Severin films. But, you know, hey, look, if you, if you like that sort of contemporary zombie <laughs> if, movies of the current day, here's, you might as well go back to the beginning. Here's what I, I will say about that. If you have a movie called Dr. Butcher, you are basically saying to your audience... I'm not going to try and fool you. Yeah. This title is what this movie is. It's about Dr. Butcher. If that title appeals to you, you will like this movie. If you're grossed out and you feel like you need to go and, you know, take a pill, then don't don't see this movie. Don't, don't, don't. Don't do it. A few other great extras here, and then we're going to get into some criterion. But we got a couple of uh, great collector's editions that are recently out from the uh, new Shout Select line. Um, Actually, Invasion of the Body Snatchers is... Which one? the, this is the uh, the more recent one. This is the Donald Sutherland, uh, Philip Kaufman directed one from uh, what was it, nineteen seventy? Is that the one with Jeff Goldblum? Seventy eight. Uh, yes, yeah, the young Jeff Goldblum. Some of the and best Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. That's just a, that's just a fantastic. Movie. I I think this is in every way an e- the equal to the original. Maybe even it's better. Uh, this is Phil Kaufman before he uh, made the jump to the right stuff. This is really really a terrific film. Uh, nineteen seventy eight. Has a great, almost brand of Palma feel to it, uh, and it's uh, this is a cr- terrific collector's edition from uh, Shout Factory, and um, then the one that I just I it, this is just gold to me. This is absolutely gold uh, from the Shout Select line: The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Uh, yes, in a fantastic special edition, uh, Jeff Goldblum in this one as well. Directed by W.D. Richter, who has not gone on to have the career he should have. No, well, W.D. only directed one other movie, I think, not long after that. What happened? I don't know. This is like the cult film of cult films. He did some writing, though, in the ensuing years, but yeah, but he only directed one other other film. Well, anyway, this film, look, if if you haven't seen it, you have to see it. There's really no way to describe this film other than uh, John Lithgow overacts and gets away with it uh, in the worst possible way. And, um, you know... Peter Weller, before RoboCop, man, he plays basically a 
I mean, how do you put this? It's a rock band slash superhero squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, in the middle of an alien invasion. It's just, it's everything. It's this weird genre mashup. It's great sort of dialogue. I mean, character names, Big Bootay, and I it, mean, stop. The, my two favorite things in this, I think it was, it, 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 there, there's the scene where they're going through the room, and there's like a, I'm not going to give it away, but, you know, there's like a thing, and, and he goes, what is that? And he goes, shh, I don't know. Right, you know, it's just this weird, weird eccentric moment. And my my favorite thing in the whole movie is is the Peter Weller saying, yeah. "Remember, no matter where you are, there you are." There you are. <laughs> That's the best. Vincent Chevelli in there too. Oh yeah. Uh, Crimes of Passion, Ken Russell film. Ken Russell, man, uh, Mark has some fantastic Ken Russell stories. Oh yeah. Because uh, Ken Russell is he dead yet? Oh no. yeah, yeah, yeah. He died not long yeah. ago, right? Because yeah. it was only I remember he was at a thing. You know, we were right. supposed to interview him for the for for stupid for movies. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Corey, Corey, <laughs> who does the intros for us now, Corey. This was supposed to be at the Lowe's Hotel during AFM, and uh, I was supposed to be doing the interview. And I I got there, and Corey was already there with the crew, the whole stupid for movies crew. Mm. And and Corey looks at me with this angry face, and he says, "He won't talk to us. He won't come down." I said, "What? Do you, what?" It's like they like like buzzed up and it's like rah, 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 click. Anyway, like and, and I won't get into all the the gory details of it. But we never talked to Ken Russell because he just decided the last minute yeah. he's just whatever. Well, he was a bit of a sociopath. Yeah. Now you look at it. This is this this was the kind of a neat movie. I remember this movie. This is early '80s sort of thing about a fashion designer uh, played by Kathleen Turner uh, when Kathleen Turner was still ridiculously hot. Yeah. Another St. Louis girl, by the way. Uh, and uh, and at night uh, she was a hooker. Yeah. This is you know, there you I'm go. a fashion designer by day, hooker by night. Aren't they yeah. all? O- only in the only in the Ken Russell film, baby. Only in the Ken Russell film. That's a that's a that's a, a, a double disc Blu-ray set, by the way, with all kinds of neat special edition content on it, including a 2K restoration. Um, some compilation stuff here, real fast. Uh, we got a couple of William Castle double features. For those of you who don't know, William Castle was the exploitation producer uh, for Columbia Pictures, who made exploitation films for the studios. So they were like the indies that you know, like the little B movies that weren't really B movies. Uh, but he pioneered all of those amazing techniques, like you know, the shocker, ha- in your having seat. shocking you in your seat, having stuff drop from the ceiling, all of the, like junk that you know goes on in the theater that that just made the experience. Even more psychotic, um, and these are a couple of double features: uh, Homicidal and Mr. Sardonicus on one. And Mr. Sardonicus is actually from 19, both of these from 1961. Mr. Sardonicus, um, actually a really really interesting film uh, in many many ways. And then the other double feature is Thirteen Ghosts and Thirteen Frightened Girls. I love Thirteen um, Ghosts. That was that was a re- that's a real classic. Yeah, uh, Thirteen Ghosts from 1960, Thirteen Frightened Girls from 1963. Uh, both of these also really, really interesting, especially uh, 13 Frightened Girls, which is in color. So uh, that's, that's there. And then a pretty great compilation set from uh, Film Chest. This is a five-DVD musical collector set from the Golden Age of Musicals. This is a bargain for anybody. Uh, I'm amazed at the films that they have on here. Sure, there's a lot of ringers in here, but there are 17 movies on this. And at least half of them are really worth having, and the transfers are not bad. Uh, so <laughs> Film Chest has really given, given us a bargain here. Um, of these 17 movies, you, you get At War with the Army, you know, which is Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin, not bad at all. Private Buckaroo, um, uh, The Road to Bali, Stage Door Canteen, Till the Clouds Roll By, The Fabulous Dorseys, Pied Piper of Hamlin, which is uh, one of my favorites from the era, The Inspector General, Danny Kaye. Uh, you know the Duke is tops career girl. 
I mean, there's a lot of really great classics here. Uh, so it's it's absolutely worth it to uh, to pick this up. If you don't have any of these movies, this is really a great set. Five DVDs, musical collector set, The Golden Age of Musicals, 17 films from Film Chest. Uh, I got a couple over here. We have New Faces. New Faces uh, was a review series done in Cinemascope uh, in the 50s and 60s. Um, of Broadway plays and other things uh, that was really sort of fantastic. The intention, of course, was a way to sort of promote these things and get people around the rest of the country who you know, might not have necessarily had an everyday chance to go, to go see theater on, on Broadway to know about these plays. So if they did come to New York, they would see them. They're fantastic. The neat thing about this is that some of the writers uh, include Mel Brooks uh, and John Cleveland. Uh, some of the performers include Eartha Kitt. I mean, they're really, really, really neat things. So like, um, whatever was sort of happening in the world of Broadway at the time is what these things would be about. Uh, this particular one is from 1954 and includes, in fact, Eartha Kitt and, Ro- and uh, Ronnie Graham and Robert Clary and Alice Ghostly doing numbers from a number of uh, fantastic uh, shows, reviews and skits and comedy from the, from the period on Broadway. So that's kind of neat. Uh, New Faces of 1954, uh, done in Cinemascope as well. The Night Visitor... Um, I also have here, uh, this is the 19, let me see, which one is this? This would be the Max von Sydow one. So it's from about the early 70s, sometime in the early 70s It's when this one would have been. Uh, crime thriller. Um, uh, this is a neat, this is a very, very intense and spellbinding sort of thriller. Max von Sydow, as a young guy, was a captivating guy. Uh, he's a captivating guy now. But as a young guy, he was very captivating on the screen. So you're going to want to check out this Blu-ray. It has a commentary track on it from author and filmmaker Bruce G. Hallenbeck. Nice. All right, Criterion. Uh, five new Criterion titles. They're all absolutely amazing. Ingrid Bergman, in her own words. Uh, this is this is really uh, just terrific. You I know, thoroughly enjoyed that. We talked about that on Film Week. It, it, it is, isn't this great? I mean, it really is. Uh, Stig Bjorkman, who directed this, um, made this amazing documentary, which is almost... It, I, I hate even calling it a documentary. It's, it's like a personal... It's like a Valentine in, in so many ways. I mean, yeah. it really is like a personal... Um, it really is in her own words. It's, it's all in her own you, words. You hear her voice, including some recordings that she made, the uh, images, some of the earliest, earliest images of her as, as, as young as 15 years old. Some of her own home movies. From home movies, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, yeah it's, it's just absolutely beautiful. And uh, Alicia Vikander, now an Oscar winner, uh, narrates it. And it's just it's a wonderful, wonderful look at uh, a screen legend and with a lot of tremendous um, extras on it, including you know more home movies and uh, clips and interviews of you know archival stuff of Bergman that that are all not part of the documentary but still very much germane to her career. So it's a that's a wonderful and unexpected uh, Criterion release. A Touch of Zen, the great King Who film. I hope this means that we're going to get a lot more King Who on uh, on Blu-ray. Uh, especially from Criterion, that would be great. King King Hu, of course, the Taiwanese filmmaker who made his mark primarily in the 1960s as kind of the John Ford of the Hong Kong and Taiwanese film industries. Um, a beautifully photographed, amazingly choreographed films that really inspired a whole generation of martial arts and period filmmakers. Uh, a Touch of Zen is uh, considered one of his best films. I'd say there's probably three that kind of tie but uh, a touch of Zen definitely is uh, is certainly always one that uh, winds up at people's uh, the top of their lists, and uh, you know it's just it's one of those those journey uh, stories about a, this young woman 
who uh, puts on a disguise to um, well, I don't want I, I won't give anything away, but she's um, she she's looking for a sanctuary and uh, winds up in finding sanctuary in a certain location, and uh, then there is there's there's some conflict that ensues, and it's a it, it's a little bit like a I mean it is very much a western. The monks. It's, the thing about that movie because that movie is actually from the early seventies. It's yes, um, and which of course was a, a nineteen seventy one. Okay, there you go. So it was a sort of a transitional period there. Yes, you know what I always thought of? the movie that I always he's thought already of? competing with Shaw Brothers. Movies oh sure, yeah, yeah. And, but you remember the Billy Jack films? Yes, I always think about that movie, these movies, in the context of those Billy Jack, particularly that original Billy Jack film. Yeah. And I always think about it as like Clint Eastwood movies, yeah, in many yeah, respects. But yeah, it's, it's it is both of those. I know what you're talking yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, it has it has it has a good, the bad, and the ugly quality yeah. to it. And and I think it's a good analogy. But it's it's a lot of great surprises in that movie. Touch of Zen, classic King Who, um, Night and Fog. Yeah, is out on uh, on Blu-ray at long last. The Alain Rene uh, classic from 1959, which is uh, you know like all Alain Rene films, it's it's a little bit impenetrable, but it's, and ambiguous. But it's, it's just hypnotic, and it's uh, as a film looking back on uh, you know the, the the horrors of the Nazi period and French occupation. Um, it's it's just haunting. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. Again, loaded with extras, which includes uh, an interview with Joshua Oppenheimer. The uh, the director uh, a 1994 audio interview with Alain Rene um, a Fas uh, au Fantôme which is a 2009 documentary with uh, uh, you know looking at the looking at the Holocaust in general and uh, you know the, uh, the as it as pertains to the release of this film I mean really really good stuff uh, and then Muriel otherwise known as The Time of Return. This is a much uh, less well-known film from uh, 1963, also by Alain René, which was, uh, came on in the wake of last year at Marion Bad. And uh, it is, I think, in many respects, better than Marion Bad. It's a little more accessible, but it's kind of a, it's not really a sequel. It's almost like a continuation of the, 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 the concept. Um, deals with romance in, in a very similar kind of dreamlike and uh, uh, kind of inaccessible way. But this one in particular also kind of deals with France's war in Algeria, and that very much casts a shadow on it in the same way that World War II casts a shadow over Night and Fog. I would, I would even stick Hiroshima, uh, Mon Amour, that was like before yeah. Marion Bad, right? Yeah. I, I'd put them all in a, in a, in, continuum? In a continuum. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Tim, somehow we always wind up, wherever we are on this podcast or on, <laughs> or on radio, we always wind up talking about Terrence Malick. I swear. Y- you and I have been, by sheer coincidence, on Film Week together for, for each of the last three or four Terrence Malick movies. Yeah, yeah. And, it's and, ridiculous. And, and the conversation actually goes all the way back to the thin red line, yeah. I think. You yeah. Know, it, it, another junket that I did. And, and here we are with the, with the, with the New World. Which would have been so after the thin red line, which was ninety. You would know that. Oh, uh, two thousand one, something guess it was. like that, yeah. right? And then, he, yeah. and then he took another little gap. Actually, thin red line was ninety. It's early, I'm going to say ninety eight. Yeah, something. And he took another little gap, yeah. and then this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which I know is one of your favorite films. I love the New World, but you know, the, here's the interesting thing. This is this is the director's cut of the New World, the the director approved edition. And, uh, you know, the, the director's cut is 172 minutes here. Now, here is, here's what's interesting about this. And this also, this also includes uh, the 135-minute theatrical cut 
and the 150-minute first cut. Now, that's what I think is interesting because I want to point out to people, the 172-minute cut has been out before. The 135-minute theatrical cut has been out before. The 150-minute first cut of the film mm. has not been out before on Blu-ray. The original or, theatrical... No, this is the first cut. Oh, Did you first see, cut. I, the I first it. cut. Did you see the L.A. Film Critic award screening for this when they screened it for us at the Clarity Screening Room? No, no. That would have been before I was a member of the group. Okay. That was the 150-minute first cut that they went back and edited by, th- by 15 minutes and then released theatrically. I still have my Lafka DVD screener, two discs, two DVD-Rs of that cut because it's never been released before uh-huh. in any form. And I'm like, this is going to be gold. I'm not going to let go of this. No one has seen this cut before. It's out now. It's out now. If they finally, but <laughs> that's the thing. Nobody, they, they're talking about this. Oh, the director's cut. Oh, no, only, there are only, three only, cuts. Only members of Lafka and a yes. few other groups actually saw that. So, so yes, so uh, effectively, you do get um, you get you get every every transfer every cut of this film now, which is uh, which is pretty great. Uh, so the uh, in any case, um, Manuel, you know Emmanuel Lubetsky, who's yeah. now a back to back Oscar winner, Oscar, and yeah. you know who's just who, legend now, the greatest cinematographer of all time, who of course did uh, this is yeah this is effectively when his relationship with yeah. Malick began. It and was Jack on this Fisk film. And, and, yeah. and a few other folks whose names Amazing. we know we see regularly now, and tons and tons of interviews and other stuff on here. I mean, if you love this film like I do, it, it, you, this is nuts. There's just uh, there's more to this than uh, you'll you'll spend hours. I mean, look, it's James just Horner's one, score. It, really, probably the last great James Horner yeah. score. I really do love. I mean, I. Criticize James Horner a lot, but I really, really love this score. So, um, and then you know, let's see uh, a couple other real quick things before we uh, we cut out here. Um, some Asian titles that I should make mention of. Uh, this is a, a, an unusual little thing. You know, I said this years ago that in China the movies that they're they were just using Hollywood films to build a lot of theaters so they could release their own crappy Hollywood knockoffs and uh, into theaters and yeah. next thing you know we'd have these Chinese movies making ridiculous amounts of money in China and we'd never see them over here case in point the mermaid um, Stephen Chow who whose early films I really love made uh, a killing with the mermaid this is very much in the on the in the more in the vein of uh, Shaolin Soccer and Kung Fu Hustle. Kung his, Fu Hustle his more yeah. recent uh, effects in, in inflected stuff. You know, his earlier films are very much about you know uh, Cantonese puns and uh, you know more kind of local humor, but yeah. more deadpan stuff. All this CGI stuff. I don't think this is a very good movie, uh, but it's clearly a very polished film. It's much more interesting if you're if you're Chinese. I think uh, it, it it is not. The, the the humor in it does not travel very well, but this thing made gargantuan amounts of money in China. And uh, you know, if I guess if you like modern Chinese comedy, and if you like where Stephen Chow's career has gone in this more cartoonish period, you'll probably enjoy The Mermaid. It is not like Splash. It is um, it is like Splash crossed with a John Woo film. Oh, really? With the with the, with the humor of like Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner. It's very bizarre. But uh, you know, I guess I guess it's maybe worth a look for Stephen Chow devotees and uh, then lastly is a female prisoner scorpion the complete collection from the uh, arrow collection if you know this uh, Japanese line of exploitation films you will you are in so you are just in, in really really good 
Female Prisoner Scorpion is not new to Blu-ray or DVD, but the entire series is. So what we get here is Female Prisoner uh, number 71 Scorpion, Female Prisoner Scorpion Jailhouse 41, uh, Female Prisoner Scorpion Beast Stable, Female Prisoner Scorpion number 71's Grudge Song. They must uh, have something to do with those, all those early 70s. Cage key. Well, yeah, you know, this is this. this the is, big dollhouse. All that stuff. It, it's like uh, all the all the the women's spy movies crossed with the women in prison, prison movies, movies and transitioned over to the Jap exploitation uh, <laughs> milieu. It's groovy. It's funky. It's sixties. It's seventies. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's really violent. It is not orange. It's new black. Nothing no, it like is not. Nothing it like is, that. It is campy. It is fun. It is completely unhinged. The Japanese made uh, this particular genre of Japanese movies is really just completely off the wall. So I, I do recommend this for cult film fans who have been waiting for this complete series to come out, and it has not until now. Uh, that is really, really a godsend. Uh, this is this is something I did not expect. So Arrow, I applaud Arrow for releasing that entire series. It's a lot of fun. Nice throwback to an Arrow. So, Tim, that's it. We've wrapped up this extra-long show, and we're uh, covering for a couple of weeks here. Uh, we'll, have, we'll come back in about... Uh, a little over a week, week and a half, and let 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 Mark reveal the uh, whatever drama he chooses to reveal. Uh, it should be interesting. All he right, should, he should do it with movies. Yes, say, just watch this movie. <laughs> this is what and this it'll is lay what... out what I've been dealing. With. Absolutely. All right, it's all good. We thank you guys for being patient with us, and uh, have a have a great time watching the rest of the Olympics, which is what I think I'm going to do this next week. All right, we're out. Bye bye.